The Word of God told us last week, whatever you do, do not let this go out. And it is what? The fire. Whatever you do, do not let the fire go out. And we went all the way back to the book of Leviticus. And we read some scripture there. And the first portions of those scriptures, it said to not let the fire go out. It said the fire on the altar, that's Leviticus 6.13. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. And I told you that in scripture, there is no way to underline or put punctuation or emojis or whatever we do in order to make people know that something is important. And so what they would often do is they would repeat things and the repetition of things was good, right? Repetition is good. And so just in Leviticus chapter 6, there's three times that God says to Moses, who is the messenger at the time, to give to the priest, to say, whatever you do, when the fire starts, don't let it go out. Now, as you pick up right there and you read, one of the questions that I think you ought to have is, well, Where's the fire? Where does the, where does the fire come from? Is the fire already there? And if you keep reading, you find out where the fire comes from. It's in Leviticus chapter 9, beginning in verse 23 and 24. Listen to this. Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And then the fire came out from before the Lord. It, it consumed the burning and the portion of the fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and they fell on their face. And I will tell you that I am amazed at the order of God in this. Because for me, I'm thinking I would have sent the fire first. But he didn't do that. He taught them how to maintain the fire so that when the fire came, they know not to lose the fire. I believe that is a lesson for us. Is that if you want the, the fire of God, if you want the glory of God in your life, the presence of God in your life, then the first thing you ought to do is begin to figure out when it comes. Not if it comes. Okay? No, He said it would. But before it ever falls on your life, are you ready to maintain that fire? I find that most people had no training and preparation for fire maintenance. <laughs> we talk about putting out every fire, right? We, we know how to extinguish fires. But in this case, I think before we give somebody the fire of God, we ought to show them how important it is they don't lose this. This is how you maintain the fire. Now that was last week. Are you ready for this week? Watch this. Go all the way over to the book of Acts. In Acts, what we have is that Jesus is leaving and He is going to send the Holy Spirit. And so He says, it's good that I should go because when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Once again, I would be asking, how are you going to do that, God? How, how are you going to send the Holy Spirit? And when I read the, books of Act, uh, the book of Acts, he doesn't tell them how he's going to send the fire. He tells them how to prepare for it. 
Watch what he says. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Gathering together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised when he said, you heard from me. How many of you are good at waiting? Is anybody good at waiting? If you are, raise your hand. You're like, I, I'm, I'm great at waiting. I find it is not one of the great characteristics found uh, uh, among us. Waiting on God. Do you know that there's some important lessons learned when you wait on God? <laughs> so he tells them, uh, you need to wait for this coming of the Holy Spirit. And then he said in verse 7, is it, it's not for you to know the time or the epics which the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. So He begins to prepare them for this coming of the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 12 that they returned to Jerusalem. They found this room to begin to wait, and it says in verse 14, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Now, you need to know something about this. You need to know a timeline. From Jesus' resurrection to His ascension is 40 days. Some of us can't wait four hours. Some, some of you feel like God closed up shop if you have to pray for something for 40 days. So he, he's arisen from this grave. He rises from the grave. And He's on and off with them for a period of 40 days. And then He ascends to the Father. And there's 10 days where He is absolutely gone. Can't be found. They are waiting and I don't know about you, somebody told Brantley and I this a long time ago. We, we remembered it ever since. They said it's, it's harder if you've had something for it to be taken away than to never have it at all. Would you agree? Like if you've never had it before, you don't really know what you're missing. But if you've had something valuable and it's been taken away, then when it's taken away, it, it's, it's a big deal. They've been walking with Jesus for three some odd years every day. Him just pouring into their life. I mean, we talk about the presence of God. It doesn't get any better than that, does it? He is literally in physical form with them every day. That had to be the ten hardest days of their life. There are some days where, where we're waiting, and I wonder, and I like to ask questions. It, I, I hope you do too. When you read the Bible, you should ask questions. One of the questions that I ask is this. Jesus... Why you wait so long? Why, why does it seem like we always waiting on you, Jesus? And, and, and yet when he comes, his timing is always perfect, is it not? In, in fact, I'll, I'll share this with you too, because I know that some of you have been waiting on some things. I heard this said, once he answers, once he comes, it won't matter how long you wait. Yeah. Yeah. Can I say that to somebody who needs it? Like you struggling. You're like, I, I'm trying to hold on, but, but I, this waiting is killing me. And I will tell you, ask anybody who's waited on God, and when God shows up, ask them, did it matter how long they waited? 
It don't matter if they prayed a week. It doesn't matter if they prayed a year, six years. It doesn't matter if they prayed the majority of their adult life. When He comes, <laughs> it don't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. And so they are waiting. And over in chapter 2, it is the day of Pentecost. 50, 50 days had come. They were all together in one place. And suddenly they came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And the Holy Spirit was poured out. The promise was poured out that the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out. He was poured out. Now if some of you are good Bible students, you would say this. Now the prophet John said that there was one coming. And that he would not baptize with water, but he would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. fire. The Holy Spirit comes. Did the fire come? Look at verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in tongues as the Spirit had given utterance to them. But look at verse 3. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. The prophecy was fulfilled that the Holy Spirit was poured out and that they were baptized by the Spirit of God and the fire of God. And I will tell you this. We need to be careful when we are praying for the Holy Spirit to come and the fire to fall because there's something I want to point out to us today. Is that I believe, have you ever heard that you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Yeah. And I absolutely believe that. And what is meant by that is, just because you're sitting in the room with a group of Christians doesn't make you a Christian. Right? Just like if you've got a mule and you take it to the Kentucky Derby, that won't make it a thoroughbred. But we have preached this thing of personal responsibility, of personal relationship at the expense of corporate fellowship. That we have made, particularly here in America, we have made this thing of a personal responsibility, a personal relationship way more important than we have fellowship with the body of Christ. But notice what he said. Y'all need to get together and you need to wait and you need to wait together. There is something about being together that helps the presence of God be felt, that keeps the fire burning inside of you. And I will tell you that if you have gone too far in one direction, let's use this horse thing again. I, I know nothing about horses. Tiffany, I should apologize. But, but I believe something about riding a horse. Here's what I believe. Y'all tell me if I'm wrong. You can fall off that horse on both sides, can't you? Right? Y'all maybe have. Is that, or have you only fell off the, the left side, not the right? You can even fall off the back, huh? Yeah. So, so you can fall off of a horse on both sides. You can fall off of the center of the mark in this situation on either side. You can go to the extreme. And I've heard people, they say, look, I can be a Christian. I don't need the church. You ever heard that? Mm-hmm. 
I sit back and go, I don't know if you've fallen off, but you're getting ready to. Because I have not known many people who can maintain a personal relationship with Jesus Christ being separated from the body and be very strong in doing it. I just haven't seen it. Now, if you show me some, I'm, I, there may be some, but I will tell you the majority of us cannot maintain the fire. You cannot maintain the presence of God in your life trying to do it all by yourself. You know why? Because you wasn't supposed to. <laughs> You're operating outside of what Jesus commanded. When you read Scripture, are these things supposed to speak to your life personally? Yes. Yes, they speak there first. But go back and read it again. This is a book to a body. This is a, a book to a community. This is a, a book to a fellowship of, of people. And we've said before, even just last week, that if any of you know anything about a fire, you know that you can reach in with a set of tongs and you can pull out an ember and it can be glowing hot with fire and you can set that ember just off the side of the fire and come back in an hour and what's happened that ember is no longer red hot and burning is it it is in the process of burning out of growing cold but if you look at the fire where it came that thing's still raging. That thing is hot. Why? Because it is mutually being kept alive and being fueled. I want to tell you that one of the greatest reasons we cannot maintain the fire of God and the glory of God in our life is because we do not value the fellowship of other believers the way that we should. We fell off on one side of the horse. And I'm saying let's get back on and let's value this thing called fellowship. Now there are some right and wrong ways to fellowship. Because I will tell you that the fellowship that is spoken of in the Bible, it is mutual. So if you are involved in what you think is fellowship, then it should be mutual. Which means that you are receiving and you're giving. You're receiving and you're giving. It's, it's mutual. Just generally speaking, <laughs> I'll tell you that we can get in the habit of showing up ready to receive from somebody else, but have never positioned ourselves to give back. And that's not fellowship. So there are some right and wrong ways to experience the glory of God. Now, just so we're on the same page, what is the glory of God? The glory of God is when the presence of God is in your face. Y'all remember that, right? I think that's a good way to remember it. The, the glory of God is when the presence of God is in your face. It means you're having a hard time seeing anything else right then, right? It's like it, you'd have to almost look around it because it is captivating your attention. What is that glory? It is the goodness of God. It is when the goodness of God is so strong in your life that all you can do is just go, whew. You go, I, I don't even have words. You know, I don't, I don't even have words for it right now. God, you're just, you're so good. Or when you're overcome by the love of God that it just overtakes you and you just go, oh my 
goodness. Can I tell you that on those days that the enemy causes you to want to doubt even your very salvation, that one of the things that I think you should always be able to go back to is an encounter that you have had with the love of God. Because I'll tell you, if you've experienced it in the way that folks in the room are nodding their head, they are nodding in such a way that they say, it is something like I've never seen anywhere else. Woo, there have been some little girls running around trying to find that in a little boy. Mm, you can't find it there. Mm, there have been some little boys running around trying to find that kind of love in a little girl. And you go, mm, you can't find it there. This love that we speak about, it is only found in the one place in the one who said, God is love. And apart from Him, you don't have a clue of what real love is. But it is not something that you figure out in your head or you know theologically, no, this is something that is supposed to have transformed your life. Set your heart on fire. Mm. And so... The glory is the goodness of God. It is the love of God. It is the power of God when it comes. And if all you do is just show up and think it's going to happen, it's not going to happen. More than likely, it's not going to happen. And that's why I said before, you should prepare your heart for worship as much as you prepare your hair, your makeup, your suit, your fine outfit, and your pretty shoes. You, you should spend as much time preparing your heart for the fellowship of believers as you do what you look like. <laughs> and so if you come in unprepared, well, you usually get what happens when you're unprepared for anything else. Right? Just kind of take what you get, whatever whatever happens. And so you can't just show up and you can't have this mindset that says, well, I'm coming to get fed because, you know, I just need to get fed. And you know what? I ain't getting fed anymore, so I just got to leave because I got to go somewhere I can get fed. You know what a good question would be? When's the last time you fed yourself? When's, when's the last time you fed yourself? Because whose responsibility is it, Ember, to keep the fire going? Yes, it is your responsibility to keep your own fire going. And last week we talked about this. We'll do it again. Can you imagine? I think you were the one that said it when I said, whose responsibility is it to keep the fire going? You said it's yours. He was joking. He was joking. But just picture that for a moment. If you think that you come into church and that the praise team or the worship leader or your small group leader or, or the pastor is going to keep the fire burning in you. Because it, it, it looks like this. It's like, oh Lord, the fire done gone out in Karen. <sighs> okay. Are you good, Karen? Oh Lord, that's good because old Tanya over here. <sighs> and then you go over here and it's a whole nice Linda. <sighs> and, and, and the pastor just spends his time going, you know what you get? You get a pastor who's burned out. That's what you get. If you have that mindset, you get a pastor that's burned out unless the pastor is smart enough to know that he can't keep your fire burning. I learned that 
by trying to keep everybody's fire going. And I let my own fire go out. And hopefully I'll never lose that lesson. But to know, Kevin, you got to maintain your own fire. And in maintaining your own fire, then anybody else who wants to get warm can come up. If you have this mentality, and the devil puts this in our head, and you need to know whose voice it is that tells you this. It's not your voice. It's not reality. It is the enemy who is trying to bring division and bring separation. Because he knows, just like the people who make the National Geographics, that when that little deer gets all by himself, the lions get happy. Because they know that's easy, that's easy meal. The devil knows that when the deer gets away from the herd, that's easy pickings. And he says something like this, you know, you missed that one week because you were on vacation. You missed that second week because you were sick. You missed that third week because, well, you missed first and second, and now it's just easier to miss the third. But after the third week, you hear something inside of your brain. And I don't know if you've ever heard it before, but I'm going to call it out. So if you hear it again, you'll know where it came from. But here's what that, here's what that voice says. They don't care about you. They don't. See, they, they ain't even called. If, if they cared about you, they, they would have called you. Can I tell you that if the only reason you show up is because there's a line of people that calls you to get you there every Sunday, you in bad shape. You... You in worse shape than you think. Your problem is not the people that didn't call you. You're the problem. Yeah. So the next time you're out, hear this voice inside of you. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit. It is not whether or not somebody called you. It is that you need to get your hind parts <laughs> back with your people because if you don't, there is a lion who is prowling, seeking whom he may devour, and you are easy pickings. Get back and get your heart on fire again. So they had to wait. They had to, they had to wait on the Lord. And part of that waiting is because if you want the glory of God to come, then you've got to wait for it because it is in the waiting that God shows you the things that are actually keeping the glory of God from coming. Are you with me? There's something about waiting that draws stuff out. God's a fire. He sends a, a fire that you don't even know ahead of time. It's a purifying fire. And waiting is, is the fire of it. And it's that waiting that stirs things up. You ever been stirred up when you're waiting? There's like it stirs up tension, right? And, and anxiousness and fears and doubts and all these things. And it stirs all those up. Sometimes it even stirs up conflict. You ever been waiting on something as a family and y'all end up getting in a fight? Hmm? Why? <laughs> because you're upset, your fuse is short, and now something that somebody said, it wouldn't have bothered you last week, but it'll bother you this week, right? It's in the waiting 
that things get stirred up. It's, it's, I don't know how they waited. We probably think that they were all sitting up there just playing, oh God, we wait for you. Holy Spirit, come. We're in no hurry. We love each other. I, I just don't think it went down that way. I think after a while they said, you know what? I am just so aggravated with Kim's Conyers right now. <laughs> or, or you're like, you know what? I, I just don't think that Allison is carrying her load in this prayer meeting. <laughs> and, and, and things begin to stir up. And, and I think that all of that stuff got stirred up in them up there. That it wasn't just this beautiful little prayer gathering thing. Because even after the fire falls, the apostles preach upon the subject of the one another's, of living together, of living in fellowship, and it's called the one another's. And I want to go over just a, a few of them quickly with you this morning. <laughs> Love one another. Love one another. That thing is found in Scripture about 15 times from the apostles. Love one another. Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another. See, I like that. When I hear be devoted to one another, what I hear from America is this, be devoted to yourself. Be devoted to your own cause. Look out for yourself and your own. And yet the apostles write to us and they say, no, be devoted to one another. Pour out yourself to one another. Serve one another. You keep going on. There was a list. Do you know how many? There's like 59 of these in Scripture. 59 one another's in Scripture. That's why you cannot do this Christian thing all by yourself. Because there's 59 things that you can't do unless there's somebody else around you. Live in harmony with one another. Accept one another. Have equal concern for one another. Serve one another. Be patient with one another. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Encourage one another. Spur one another on. Do you hear that? Fan the fire. You know, help keep each other warm. Pray for one another. There's 59 of them. And a, and then if you look at John chapter 13, this is what he says. Love one another. This is how they will know that you're my disciples. Is that you love one another. Do you realize that it is in the fellowship, the group of Christians who are waiting on God to move and refuse to move until God moves, that things get stirred up. And you have to learn how to forgive one another. You have to learn to accept one another, bear with one another. And it is in doing that that the world looks and goes, wow, there's something different about those folks. It is something that you cannot get by simply loving your family in a Christian environment. Can I tell you that? Because do you need to love your family as Christ loves the church? Yes, you absolutely do. Does the fire of God need to be there? Yes. But when people see that, they'll say, well, they're family. They're supposed to love each other that way. <laughs> but put a group of people as diverse as we have in this room together. Right? 
who have come from different backgrounds. We have different experiences. Some of you had great homes. Some of you didn't have a home. Some of you grew up knowing Christ from the the very time you were born. Some of you are still learning what it means to follow Christ. You come from different economic backgrounds. You come from different educational backgrounds. We come from different spiritual backgrounds. We bring all kinds of denominations together here. And I just think it's beautiful. (laughs) I just think it's amazing. And it's Christ-like. Because I can tell you that the easiest thing to do would be this. Look, you don't believe what I believe? Well, fine then. I'm just coming over here. I'm going to start my own denomination. That's how they got started, you know? Yeah. Or you say, you know what? I don't like going to church with people that don't look like me. So I'm just going to huddle up over here with everybody that looks like me. Why? Because I'm comfortable there. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to get together with people who, who are sort of in the same situations that I'm in because they know what's going on. No, you see, Christ is putting together a body. And they are unified. But they're unified by their fellowship with Jesus Christ. It is Christ that unifies us. In fact, we're already one. Did you know that? When He died on the cross, He died to make us one. The question is, are you willing to live that way? Are you willing to live with people that don't look like you, act like you came from the same places that you came from? It's going to challenge you. It's going to try you. It's going to be uncomfortable. God says, you need to wait though. (laughs) You need to wait with each other. And you need to practice the one another's because it is when you have worked those things out. Now you're ready. Now you're ready for the fire to fall. Could you imagine if the fire fell on a group of people that didn't know how to get along with each other? Ooh, what a terrible situation, right? How terrible would it be? How inconsiderate of God. How irresponsible of God to send the fire on a group of people who haven't even made the decision that they want to love each other yet. He said, I love you too much to do that. So I'll let you wait. I'll let you wait. Until you want to do these one another's. And then when you do, the fire is is able to come and, and fall in your life so that then we gather in a way that the glory can come. Look at this, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together as the habit of some, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, I don't know when Jesus will come, but I, I'm smart enough to know this. He's closer now than He was yesterday. He's it's closer now than when this early church began. And if He said to that early church, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, don't you think now that the day is nearer than it's ever been, and therefore the need for us to assemble and be together is greater than it's ever been? I'd put it to you this way. Folks, this is no time for us to be doing our own thing. No, He's coming back. I don't know when He's coming back. But He's coming back. 
And he needs to find a group of people that love each other enough that they will guard their fellowship together. Now, how do we do that? We got to be hungry. You, you got to want the fire to fall. You have to desire the glory of God before all things. This past week, I had my, my calendar was up and I was looking at my calendar and I was becoming distracted by the things that I had on my calendar. I'm distracted by this thing. I hear the Holy Spirit just speaking to my heart and said, what if you were distracted by the glory of God? Imagine that for a moment. That rather than be distracted by your calendar, what you had going on, the problems in your life that you were distracted by the glory of God, the in-your-face encounter with God, that you said, i got to be in His presence. I, I can't live without Him. I, I have to have His presence. So as a church, I can tell you that if you want the fire to fall, and I want the fire to fall, the Holy Spirit has been poured out. I have seen the glory of God. But what it always makes me do is want even more. It, it makes me want to go back to that well and drink again. I'm like, if one glass was good, I think two glasses are better. Right? And so I, I want the glory of God. I, I want times where we worship and we just wait on God. Because I can tell you in our culture, it is just move on to the next thing. And we're more than content sometimes to worship and God not even have His presence among us yet. And I think sometimes He's saying, I'm going to hold back for just a minute and see if you'll wait for Me. You ever been in those moments where you're worshiping and you just couldn't feel it? <laughs> and you felt like he, he wasn't even in the room and you're like, what is wrong? I think sometimes He allows us to wait because He wants to see, wants us to see if He's really what we want. Imagine if I put a, a big stack of gold bullion right here in the middle of the floor and you walked in. I guarantee you, some of you would be captivated by that gold. You'd be like, oh, I'm moving up to the front today. You'd be like, normally I'm looking for the back seat. Today I'm getting up close because I don't know if they're giving some of that out or not. <laughs> Do you know that the glory of God is more precious than gold? That's what Scripture says. He said it's more, more precious than gold. More finer than anything you've ever seen. But the question is, are you willing to wait for it? Is it even a desire of your heart for the glory of God to come? You've got to want it. He rarely just drops that in on somebody who wasn't looking. I mean, it happens, but it's rare. Those times where we're serving one another what do we do while we're waiting for god to instruct us on the next things what if we served one another yeah what if what if we loved each other we we minister to one another what if we shared the stories of what god was doing some of you got stories and when i say stories i mean you got good ones 
You got the good kind. You got the glory stories. You got the, the stories about how you were in one situation and God redeemed you and He took you out of those situations and now He's completely changed your life. Do you know that I use your stories to encourage my heart during the week at times? Do you know that? I use your stories to encourage my heart because I say, you know what? If He did it for her, He can do it again. If, if He's done it for him, this old hard-headed rascal I'm dealing with now, He can do it to him. God, if you can fall on that person, you can fall on me this week. But you hear that, that voice inside of you that says, your story's not important. Nobody wants to hear your story. They're going to think you bragging. If, if you tell your story, then, then you got to be perfect because people are going to start looking at you. We know you're not perfect. Yeah. Hey, y'all, we, we know you're not perfect. Yeah, when, when I stand up here, don't, don't think I'm perfect because I'm not. But I got a story. And you got a story. And we need to tell the stories because it, it stirs up in us this heart that God can, can do something again. And so I want to challenge us. Oftentimes, a church has a goal for a year. Uh, we've been talking about expanding ministries and expanding our building and things like that. But I got an, another goal that I think God wants for this year. And it has nothing to do with statistics. Here's what I believe. I believe that this year God says, I want you to be distracted by my glory. I want to see, Ember, if you can spend an entire year captivated by my presence, longing for every time we get together that God would be in our midst. That, that we would go about our schedules, but the thing that we're constantly looking for is not did we check everything off, but was God in it was His presence on it. And if we don't sense it, that we'd wait for it. And there are some people that will tell you, look, you don't need to worry about your emotions. <laughs> I just beg to disagree. Because I tell you what, you don't love anything else without emotion. Right? Like all that stuff we're trying to buy, you love it. Your emotions are wrapped around it. It's what drives you and motivates you to it. If you're married, take all the emotion out of that. Take the fire out of that. Huh? Yeah. And what do you have? No! Your relationship has to have emotion in it too, right? Take the emotion out of your relationship with Jesus Christ. What do you have? Theology? Doctrine? Dead religion? A form of godliness that denies its power? No, don't take the emotion out. But don't fake the emotion either. Yeah, don't take the emotion out. But don't fake the emotion. Because if we fake the emotion, we may not be smart enough to know when the glory falls. We'd be like, I don't know if that's God or if everybody's just faking still. You know? Right? I don't know. That, I, I can't tell the difference. You know? So, so let's wait on God and know that as you wait on God, that you're not to wait all by yourself. That we cannot neglect the fellowship of believers. 
You have got to make that a priority. If you want the fire of God to be found in your life, if you want to be consumed by the glory of God, you, more than likely you can't do it all by yourself. So you're going to have to make it a priority for you, and you're going to have to make it a priority for your family. And then we come together and we wait and we say, Holy Spirit, come. And then we say, well, how will we, how's he going to come? Kevin, how's he going to come? I have no idea. He never tells us how he comes. He never tells us. But you know who knows when he's there? The prostitute knows when Jesus comes. The tax collector knows when Jesus comes. The shepherds, the poor shepherds out in the field, they know when Jesus comes. You know why they know? Because they're desperate. Desperate, hungry for something. You know who can't tell when, when the Holy Spirit comes? The religious can't tell. The Pharisees can't tell. The scribes, they can't tell. They've made it all about a head thing. They don't know. But the desperate know. Are you desperate? Are you desperate enough that you'll make fellowship a priority? That we as a church body might gather up and wait on God?